0: You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, I love a good guest reaction to Grogu. Yeah, yeah. It's quality when stuff. Grogu's head banging. That's good stuff. I like that.
1: <laughs> it's a, it's anyway. how we know we've, we've found like-minded persons. Exactly. So. We're back. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And we're, um, we're keeping it real with the the being international thing right now, because we are really <laughs> kind of spanning the globe in these first couple episodes of 2024. And now we've made it, uh, I don't think we've, we've done Portugal before. Um, right. So I think we can kind of check that off of the map now. Awesome. Um, so yeah. So it's, it's great to have Amanda Jaitiza on, and uh, you're here because of your latest book, which is coming out like, Basically, right after this episode goes live, it's mm-hmm. actually going to hit the world on February twentieth. So we're a little ahead of the game here, which is always kind of cool. And uh, yeah, it's a great opportunity to talk to you about something I know literally nothing about, which <laughs> I, I always get stoked about things I know nothing, nothing about—Sri Lankan folklore. So, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. all right, um, yeah. Thank so, you like for having me, Tracy and Patrick, I'm very, very excited to chat with y'all um, and to answer all your questions about Sri Lankan ghosts. <laughs> And folklore, or anything else
1: you might have. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So where to even start? So I get. I, I want to back it up a little bit. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to like immediately have to turn you into the Sri Lankan folklore tutor. Although <laughs> sure. I am going to ask you to be a Sri Lankan folklore tutor in a minute. Um, I'm really interested because this is not your first rodeo. This is your third novel. Um, Mm -hmm. You've been writing Fast and Furious and and producing some stuff that people have just really responded to. Um, But kind of your background is as a thriller writer in Mm -hmm. contexts where kind of reality bending-ish things are happening, but they're not, strictly speaking, fantasy necessarily in the way that we recognize. And this, Mm -hmm. this text is like really more situated in something that feels like it's kind of nudged its way into the world of fantasy here. And Mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested in what made you say like, yep, it's time. I want to do that. I want to make that move.
2: Oh, that's such a good question. Um, So I had the idea for this story many, many years ago. Um, I think it was back in 2017 or something. And I wrote down this outline of how I thought it was supposed to be. Um, And as always, when I outline something a little Too intricately, I kind of just didn't feel like I wanted to write that book anymore, Um, and and so I stuck it in my little folder. And and no, actually, I think I think the truth is, I I didn't feel I was ready to tell this story. I knew it would be, it'll have to be very deep and very ragey, and there'll be quite a fair bit of research involved. And at that time, I. I was reading a lot of, I've always read a lot of thrillers. So I kind of just stayed in that contemporary space. Um, Mm. And uh, so when, when we were talking about book three, uh, when I was having that chat with my editor, we were working on something completely different at the time, just to let you know, um, I had a very rough outline. I'd started working on a few chapters and I was having this conversation with her and it it seemed like we were going to go ahead with that one. And at the very end of the conversation, I'm, I had just come across this outline, I think, when I was clearing up some clutter from my hard drive. And just at the end of the conversation, I was like, hey, you know, I had this idea many years ago and it's called Island Witch. And she just kind of paused and she was like, hmm, okay." And then I kind of introduced the story to her a little bit. And then she like smiled. She's like, tell me more. And that told me more was what what really I was like, oh, is there something here? Is there something for me to explore? Um, And I was really nervous going into it because it is so different from, uh, you know, the typical uh, books that the the books that I've written so far. Um, But she kind of gave me a lot of confidence to just dive into it. Uh, And I've always been someone I've always been someone that loved horror and supernatural stories so it wasn't a big um deviation from my interests um just a little bit of shifting of gears of what i've written before so
0: yeah isn't it so, isn't it great though when when you you just kind of throw an idea out and someone goes holy i would read the crap out of that."
2: I <laughs> Yeah, yeah. it was just such a throwaway thing, too. It was like we'd been chatting for about 45 minutes about this other idea. And like just before we hung up, I was like, hey, I have this thing. I don't know. <laughs> She's like, what? What? No. And like we ended up staying on that call for a whole lot longer because we were chatting about this. So yeah. that's the best.
0: That's the best.
2: When
1: you were talking about it, in the process of kind of planning it out and realizing how much work would go into it that you almost kind of talked to yourself out of like, no, this is not the time for this project. I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not who I need to be to do this project right now. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you kind of need that person who leans in and goes like, I, I think I need this. Like, I want to know more to kind of make you sit back and see your own work in a different way. And that's always super exciting.
2: Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's also like Island, which like the 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 folklore behind it, everything is it's so niche and it's obviously something I'm really interested in, but I wasn't sure that anyone else would really care. And like that, I guess my editor going, Oh wow, okay, I am interested. Tell me more. That's what can I think pushed me to start thinking about it a little bit more seriously and think, okay, maybe there might be other people who are interested in this, you know, Sri Lankan folk tale that you kind of twisted around here. So
1: yeah. Right, right. So, okay, we've come back to, to, to the tutoring episode here. Like I know absolutely nothing about Sri Lankan folklore. I know this much, this doesn't work well on an audio podcast, but my fingers are very close together, um, about like Indian folklore and Pakistani folklore, but it would be a mistake to just sort of paint with that broad brush and be like, Oh, this is Sri Lanka is what happens if a piece of India falls off is that they are, they're not the same place. They're not the same culture. Um, so I catch me up on this a little bit.
2: Okay, so Island Witch is essentially me reimagining sort of an origin story for what I would say Sri Lanka's most famous or most popular ghost. Um, her name is Mohini, even though it's not explicitly sort of mentioned in the book. Um, but anyone who's familiar with the story would read it and know that that's who i was talking about um she's sri lanka's like quintessential woman in white i think every culture um has some version of this story of a woman dressed like now you're yeah so um and and i think uh, uh in sri lanka it's no different you know it's always a woman she's wearing white she's holding a baby she's standing on the side of the road just crying for help and anyone who stops to help her would get killed or possessed or die of some sort of ill fate. I mean, the, the stories vary from there but, um, but that's sort of all it was. It was just this woman wearing white, holding a baby, and that's all we knew about it. And we were so happy to just be like, oh, that's the story. And and we told this story all the time. I told this story growing up. It was my favorite ghost story to tell. i have dressed up as Mohini to, like, scare my cousins um, when I was like, maybe eight or nine. Um, and it was just such a part of this, you know, campfire type of story Um and yet, we know nothing about this ghost apart from the fact that she's a woman who killed most often men. Um, and I thought that was really interesting and also poignant in some way because how often are we happy to just accept these female villain villains or female ghosts? We just be like, oh, they're they're evil, and that's it, and we don't know anything else about them, and we've just accepted the fact that they are the way they are because. They are the way they are, and it really made me um, want to tell some sort of story. Of course, this is my own version of it, but it wanted, you know, it made me want to tell some sort of story about how she became who she is.
1: I'm kind of, you know, you're you're talking about the kind of every culture has its woman in white, or like so many cultures have their sort mm-hmm. of woman in white story. There, it does make me kind of try to wind it back a little bit and say, well, what? Why do we like why? Right. Why is it such a kind of universal archetypal character we have of like the vulnerable seeming woman or the wronged woman, mm-hmm. often a connection to a child in some way, mm-hmm. who has become dangerous? Yeah. And yeah, and it's, I I don't know how to localize what that says about, I don't know, about human nature, about mm-hmm. what we're afraid of, about <laughs> what, I don't know. Yeah. That was not a useful comment, but it didn't take us. <laughs> no, but I, it's, it's something that I,
2: also, I think we we see that with like a lot of, I think female villains in general, it's it's. there's a lot of just, oh, they are bad because they are bad. You, you know, we, we yeah. don't know anything beyond that. And like, why are we so comfortable um, accepting female villains without knowing anything there is to know about them? So they're just not as nuanced in, in the stories that we tell, they don't they don't come off particularly nuanced and we know that that is not true, um, right? So uh, I think it's just a different way of, I guess, me urging people to be like, oh, the next time you hear someone, they're like, oh, she's like the wicked witch or she's like this, this man-eating demon or um, something like that to ask, okay, like, why? Like, why did she turn out that way? Why is she this horrible person?
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, and I think we also... Uh, culturally and i and i do believe this can be across the world uh we villainize women with power mm-hmm. so uh you know uh uh witches right or or mm-hmm. magic or wise okay. women mm-hmm. or apothecaries anybody who has any kind of knowledge or power or anything like they they become uh we have to we have to brand them as a witch or we have yeah. to do, like, uh, it's stupid. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I there's, there's also like it, a lot of the, the kind of woman in white stories also are grounded in the woman was, was betrayed. wronged in some betrayed. way, betrayed, yeah. harmed in some way. Right. And the idea that now, this spirit of her lives on to revisit those wrongs upon others.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That's where we draw the line. We're like, time out, time out, time out. Sure. Sorry that happened to you, but you're not allowed revenge. You're not allowed. <laughs> anger. Like, right. That's not okay. Like the, mm-hmm. the real problem isn't so much what happened to you. That's just a story we tell to get us to the terrible things you're doing now. Yeah. The real problem is that you have agency and yeah. that makes yeah. us uncomfortable.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, the idea of witches in general, um, I think especially in, in Sri Lankan folklore, it's so interesting because see the idea of a witch in, in that very Western sense, you know, who, who carries a broomstick and wears a hat and maybe has like a cauldron or whatever it is um, in a Western context isn't, isn't something that existed in Sri Lanka until we were colonized, right? Um, the word witch didn't exist. Um, until we were colonized. Anything that revolved around working in that realm of almost demonology um, and um, these practices like astrology or, or palm reading or, or people that had the site, they were. Um, they, they were usually practiced by men and women alike, and and they still are to di- to this day. Um, but why, in in my story, for example, Amara, she's uh, that's the main character. She's sort of labeled a witch, and then othered is also it. It comes from this clash of values that's you know happening in the island at this time. So yeah, it's definitely it has to do with this idea of um, women and agency and like what makes people uncomfortable. And as society shifts um, as well, how, how that then had an impact on women. So. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And because you chose the the late 19th century as your kind of timestamp for, mm-hmm. and the kind of container for the story, that means that we're of course contending with, you know, part of the kind of colonial arc Mm -hmm. of, um, you know, Sri Lanka's history, the history of the entire region and its neighboring countries. And so our listeners have heard me ask this question of people writing like historically grounded fantasies and and science fictional retellings and all sorts of things before. So they know what's what's coming and you can probably anticipate it too. I'm always really interested in that research process Mm -hmm. and like how it can surprise you in the course of you trying to kind of get your bearings within your story and your setting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm kind of wondering if you have any particular memories of of discoveries in the course of research that were really surprising to you or formative to you in some way.
2: Sure. Yeah. um, Researching this was, it was so much fun and it was so interesting. So um, a lot of the Uh, A a lot of my research came from this one particular book uh, on demonology and witchcraft in Ceylon, which was published in 1865. And it was, don't worry, like I didn't read aloud from anything because I have watched The Mummy and I know that nothing good ever comes from reading aloud from these books that outline like curses and rituals and things like that. Um, but, But the book was so cool because... It, um, it outlined a lot of these practices. And the interesting thing is now, Sri Lanka is a very superstitious place, right? In general, um, I, we might not overtly acknowledge it, but the truth is every time we move into a new house, we have someone come and do a blessing and cut lines. We, um, you know, if you p- keep your foundation, um, the first stone of your foundation, it's done with like a ceremonial thing with the either other blessed, blessed items or like, Buried along with it, we yeah. make milk rice on the first day of of every month because it's considered to be lucky. You know, there are a culture that's very steeped in these um superstitions, but um, but a lot of what was written in 1865 is still practiced to this day in Sri Lanka, huh. and and that was what I thought was absolutely wild because I did speak to a few um we call them kapuas and katharias, which who are like the the people that practice um, these rituals, um, you could call them demon priests, but that's a very um, rough translation almost of the word. Um, But yeah, when you speak to them, you're like, oh, wow. Like, so nothing's changed. These things still exist in this same form even today. Um, And when it was written in like 1865, the author of that book noted that it hadn't changed, you know, from when he had been doing his research many, many years before that to then. So how long have these rituals existed and how long will they continue to exist? I think that's really, really cool. Um, you know, uh, it was another really interesting thing, I think, for me. Um, I was a little bit of a, I guess, a roadblock when I first started writing this book or researching um, to write this book was that a lot of the accounts from that period of time came from, Um, the colonizers right it came from the British and or it came from the few that were available that were written by locals were from very sort of upper class um, Sinhalese usually that gave a very sort of one-sided perspective so now I'm writing in the voice of this young girl from a village so you know anyone from sort of that village background anyone considered lower Cast or from like a lower social class um, their voices were not heard and certainly nothing from a woman's perspective right so that at first like that was just the biggest issue I'm like how can I do this when there is no there is no first-hand account so I had to um, almost go back and read everything that was written about women by you know Men usually British men, and and then have to extrapolate from that what you know Amar's or my main character's day to day life would look like. Um, so yeah, th- those were some of the I guess interesting things that I had to do writing the book. Right. Yeah, that's a really a, I had never thought about needing
1: to reconstruct something as basic as just like what what is it like to be a person, a yeah. woman living in, in this time, in this I place, exist, right? Right? you'd be like, great, I, I'm 50% of everyone who's here, right? Like, <laughs> surely there must be that information. And and again, it comes, it's it all kind of circles back to where the conversation started about where we prioritize the storytelling and mm-hmm. the record keeping and mm-hmm. how we how we focus on that. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. I, I, I think it's interesting that uh, the rituals you were talking about and like uh, essentially like cleansing a house or blessing a mm-hmm. house. And and that's something that 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 still happens here, too, depending on, you know, who you who you uh, what you believe and, and who you talk to. Like, really? you, like you could some someone might come in and, and with like a what is it, the smudge. Is that what it's
1: called? Yeah, they're, sage, they're like smudging house. They do like
0: yeah. the sage, yeah. or like uh, if if you're uh, Catholic, which is how I grew up, I gave it up for Lento, and uh, but if you're a Catholic, uh, is, sometimes the priests would come out and they would do the the holy water, mm-hmm. right? And they would spritz mm-hmm. the holy water yeah. everywhere and, and say little prayers and stuff. So mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. That yeah, the, the, yeah that that still happens everywhere.
1: We all want a safe roof over our heads. We all want to want to feel that we're going into a space that's going to take care of us. And particularly since not many of us have the opportunity to live in a space that we make ourselves from the ground up, there's this sense of like, something happened here before me. What mm-hmm. was it? I don't know. I don't know the full story. Like, what can I do, if anything, to head off at the pass? The, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's There's so much of, so much of, folklore is about trying to address all the ways that we feel sort of powerless or that the world feels yeah. inexplicable. And mm-hmm. we're trying to find explanations. We're trying to give yeah. ourselves back some kind of power.
0: And I don't know about mm-hmm. you, Tracy, but uh, if Amanda wants to send me that book, I'll, I'll totally read it out loud. Let's just see. What, uh...
1: <laughs> no. I mean, if, you're, if you want to be that guy, then I, you know... When have I ever been able to stop you, really?
0: Um I could I could I could get a boomstick. I could get a boomstick.
1: You would probably need a boomstick. Um yeah. Yeah. I'm just and I'm just gonna say that like Ronan would probably appreciate it if you didn't read the book out loud, because you know, he's just you know he likes the bones he's you being, give him now to chew on, I'm not <laughs> chewing on your bones.
0: He's being very clingy today. He keeps making his little appearances in the in the screen.
1: Yeah, well, he, he wants to be involved.
2: That's good. Maybe
1: he, he senses probably. the energy coming off of your huskies. Um, so we haven't we haven't seen seen your dogs.
2: Uh, oh no, that's that, because though. they're they're locked out of the room. They're not alone. <laughs> like I would not be able to have this conversation with you. If... Oh no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, at yeah. All. my husband yeah, downstairs yeah. with strict instructions like do not let them upstairs. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. And see, I can't do that with mine because he has uh, he has separation anxieties, and so and he's gotten a lot better. I mean, I, I I'm, I've worked with him a lot; he's a lot better. But it's still at the point where, like, if I close the door, he'll be okay uh, for about ten minutes, and then he'll start smacking the door like, mm. "Open the door now! Oh. What's going on? Why are we separated? Oh my God, let yeah. me in!" Yeah, <laughs>
1: so. yeah. Well, you're his whole world. You're his person, Apparently, you know, yeah. and it's, it's a lot of work, but it's, it's good to be somebody's person. Yeah. You don't want to be sure. something. So anyway, person. if you want to
0: send me that book, uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, then, then, then you'll cure Ronan's separation anxiety, but good. He'd be like, <laughs> I would like to separate. And <laughs> um, <laughs> I. I,
0: I I watched all forty-seven seasons of Supernatural. I know that you have to you have to do a salt <laughs> circle first, and I'm, not,
1: I'm sure you just. I don't know if you have the right getaway
2: car though.
0: And and I remember that angels angels are dicks, so I, I I know these things. Yeah,
2: yeah, they're a little bit sure all of that. The, the, the Sri Lankan the the Sri Lankan versions of these things are a little different, though. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, it's really so, so we yeah. we believe in. Um, a lot of houses would would do this, where they'd hang up these demon masks because they think that the demon mask would scare away actual demons, right? Oh. So it's like a demon just oh, me. this
1: one's already occupied. I better yeah, look. yeah. It's
2: like there's already a demon here. Um, go find your own person to possess or or whatever. But um, but yeah, these these like we hang these dev, devil masks, and um, yeah, it's 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 one of the things that's pretty cool. We don't do salt circles. Um, but there's definitely a lot of, like, you'd hear a lot of possession stories and exorcisms okay. and versions of that, which can be pretty cool yeah. depending on what you, what you find cool and what you find scary. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I,
0: I, I I fully admit, I have always thought that those kinds of stories, cause, cause I did grow up in, you know, in the Catholic church. Like I said, I gave it up for Lent, but, uh, <laughs> I, I do feel like the maybe because of that those kinds of stories tend to be the scariest ones, mm. and and the ones that uh, uh, almost feel more visceral to me. Like those yeah. are the ones that like I still remember when the movie oh what was the what was the movie that that like oh Paranormal Activity the first yeah. time that like they did that that movie freaked me out I, but it was like a good I was like oh they finally did something different this is kind of cool and then of course they did. Uh, Fifty nine sequels to that or something? I don't know.
2: <laughs> yeah, sure. um, but
0: like the first one, I thought was really really good and it really yeah. creepy
2: and, and yeah, the first one was so, really creepy. Um, and I and I totally agree with you, Patrick. Like if you grow up, um, I think especially in in like a church um, or in a particularly religious background. Now I will have a particularly religious background. It is something that uh these possession stories, these demonic stories, definitely can can get you um for me it's so funny because I've always been just this avid horror movie watcher right like I was I think it's because I had older cousins so they used to sneak me in to watch horror movies all the time (laughs) from the time I was like five or six so it was not um something that was ever like uh, taboo or like kept away from me and and I always loved them I everyone used to Always talk about how strange I was Because I'd be like giggling away Watching like Poltergeist When I was like seven or eight And um, But uh, the one movie That my mom actually asked me So my mom never censored anything Right um, Like I could read whatever I want to I could watch whatever I want to But the only thing Except Archie Comics she didn't. She she had this. <laughs> I get it. She was like two gu- two girls fighting over a mediocre guy. You don't need this in your life. We're like this was back. I like, love in that. It. It was like she was so that. ahead of her time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but the one thing that she actually like, very seriously begged me not to watch was The Exorcist because she had seen it in the cinema so when when it came out. Like and she was a teenager. I think she would have been maybe thirteen or fourteen at the time when she first saw it. And you know she she has that the real cinema experience I think for The Exorcist where people around her were like crying someone fainted um, you mm-hmm. know and, and so she yeah. saw she'd seen it and she she begged me she was like please please just don't do it just don't watch The Exorcist um, I was like sure 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 yeah okay I won't I won't watch it and like you know when I was about fourteen I go for a sleepover like I think my first sleepover like big girls sleepover and like well, of course what's the first thing we do right yeah. Um, yeah. oh yeah and and I remember like it was the one one movie that kind of did catch me off guard and like I remember like being up late at night and um it was that that moment not when she went like, full demon, right? That Those moments in the beginning where you could just see these, like, little twitches on her face, um, and she was just starting uh, to turn. And and so that, that's something that I thought was um, – for, for me, it, it obviously freaked me out, and that's what I try to do. I think it's always it's just that, that subtlety of the demons or the evil, like, things that are just um, – you know, just you know, something's happening. You can't call yeah. your ass idiot, and that's the moment that's like really, really yeah. scary.
0: Yeah, I, I, my mom was similar. Uh, it's funny because one of one of the things that she banned me from ever listening to was uh Prince. <laughs> She, she had heard she had heard bad things about Prince, and so I was not supposed to listen to Prince, which of course meant that I immediately went and listened to Prince.
1: Sure.
0: But uh, she would bring me books, and I've talked about this before because she was a bartender, and she would tell the, the people coming to the bar about her son who loved to read. Mm-hmm. And so they started bringing in their used paperbacks – Ooh. And giving them to her. And and then so this is how I got like I've got almost every of the old uh pocket Star Trek books. Like that's awesome. Some guy just had bunches of them and brought them in and even some of the old like Blish novels uh and and mm-hmm. uh novelizations of the episodes and stuff. And uh, but also brought me like Stephen King. And so uh, at that time, I I was young and uh, I I, I, we had we had a bathtub, not a shower. And I remember reading it. And (laughs) and, and it's like the first scene where the guy's in the bathtub. And then I'm looking at our bathtub and that was it. I'd never read Stephen King again. I was like, nope, (laughs) (laughs) nope, 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 nope. That's Um. a hard nope. Never happening. And, uh, and I've stuck with that oh. <laughs> not, like, I, I, I haven't read Stephen King because that just freaked me out the other the other thing I remember the pet sem- it pet cemetery or is it no it's uh, Salem's lot right so they did a they did a TV miniseries of Salem's lot when I was a little kid very little and I just remember my mom was watching it and there was the scene where uh, the kid is in bed and there's a knock on his window and he gets up and he sees that it's his brother on the other side of the window that they just buried. Right. Mm-hmm. And and his brother's just floating there in the air outside the window. And he's going, let me in, let me in. It's cold. It's cold. <laughs> nope. No. Nope. Hard nope.
2: Uh, Never again. Draw the curtains. You don't open them at night, even if you hear knocking. Nope. Right? <laughs> nope. nope. <laughs>
1: So, I mean, this whole conversation kind of anticipates something I I had in my notes here, which is kind of thinking about how you describe yourself. You kind of talked about always having a passion for disturbing stories and plot twists. And so that I think we're kind of halfway there, at least already. But like for you, especially in terms of plot twists, because I think plot twists are a real make or break thing for a lot Mm -hmm. of readers. For you as a reader, like what's the difference between a good plot twist and one where you're like, oh, no. No, no, no. That doesn't work for me.
2: <laughs> oh, so because I read a lot and I also write, it's getting harder and harder to not spot them coming. Um, yep. so, so something yep. that I actively try to do when I read, because I, because I enjoy thrillers, I enjoy reading them. Um, and I like even with movies, I, I love watching movies that have plot twists. so I almost have to turn part of my brain off, right. I'm like, I'm not gonna be you know Amanda the investigator when I'm when I'm reading this. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it I'm just gonna enjoy it because uh, that's why I do it right because I enjoy it and, 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 and I like being shocked and I like being surprised. Um, a good plot twist is when I think you, I call it the breadcrumbs, right? Like you, you see in plain sight almost these little clues and things, and you just don't pay attention to them. And um, then when you have that aha moment, then you're like, oh, okay. So for me, a really good plot twist would be, you know, even a day, two days, three days, a week after I've read something, I'm still like going back and thinking, oh, that's why that. That's what that was. Okay, like that. That was the thing. Um, yeah. But it, it's, I mean, as a writer, that's so difficult. That's like the, the the most delicate balance, right? That you have to strike when you're when you're writing something is how much do I try to hide? Because if yeah. plot twist comes out of nowhere, then then that's not fair or fun. No. Um, and if you are a little too heavy handed with your breadcrumbs, then you know it can be spotted. And and it's always nice also as a writer like i I do like it when people come and say oh i was able to guess and i was able to guess because of of this and they point to some obscure detail that i thought no one else but me you know would would figure out and that's a little satisfying too i know most um writers hate it when um readers figure things out ahead of time but but i don't really mind that because i'm someone um who likes you you know i end up figuring things out too but um But at the same time, it's like, how easily were you able to guess? And did you think it was someone else before you landed on this person in terms of the who done it? So,
0: yeah. I I like when I'm surprised now because it's difficult to surprise me.
2: Yeah, that's true. It's
1: true. I value it more. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's always a fun set of surprises? Picks of the week. (laughs) (laughs) That was not a smooth segue at all.
0: Picks of the week.
1: All right. Have you been surprised and delighted by anything lately, Patrick?
0: Yes, yes. So you're going to make me go first, okay? The June Carter Cash documentary, which is on Paramount Plus right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And if you're not familiar with June Carter, she is she was like country music royalty, oh. and the Carter family was one of the i kind of want to say prolific acts in the in the mm-hmm. in the early 19 like 20s and 30s and and on and it, it, if you were an american and you had a radio most likely you knew the Carter family you knew the Carter girls uh, if you've seen oh brother where art thou the 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 three his three daughters that are singing mm-hmm. in the highways and in the hedges that's based on the Carter girls cuz that was June and her two sisters okay. and uh, a lot of people know her basically as the wife of Johnny Cash but she had this whole other life like she she had All this stuff that happened to her and 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 if you if you watch this documentary you 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 get that. You you know, you you see how she grew up and and the songs that she wrote. Like I did not know that she wrote Ring of Fire. Really? Oh I did not know that. I did not know that. I, I always thought Johnny Cash did. But it turns out that she was on her second marriage. And she had started touring with Johnny Cash and she was falling in love with him. And she felt horribly guilty about that because she was a Christian. Mm -hmm. And she thought that, you know, when you're married, you're married and, and you don't cheat, you don't do anything. And, and so the whole concept of ring of fire was about her guilt over falling out of love with her current husband and falling into love with Johnny Cash while still being married. And so she wrote this song about a ring of fire you know, and and love is a burning flame, you know, kind of thing, and and it, mm-hmm. how it burns you, and then you fall into this ring of fire. It was all about her her Christianity and hell and all this kind of stuff, you know, and and her guilt. And then, of course, Johnny Cash has a dream about the song and says, "What that needs is a Mexican mariachi horn band." <laughs> I mean, and you know, sure. it becomes it becomes this huge hit for him. Uh, the other part of this documentary that is interesting to me is that it, it kind of documents how when she was in her 70s, 75, somewhere around there, she decided she wanted to do her first solo album in almost 30 years. Oh. And and she invites her kids. She's got multiple kids from different husbands. She invites uh, some other country music people like Rodney Crowell. And uh, Marty Stewart, and different people to come in and sing these songs that she hadn't sung since she was a child, huh. and and kind of put them together on this album that also no one wanted. Like no one wanted an oh. album from a seventy-plus-year-old June Carter Cash, mm-hmm. and uh, so her manager actually started her own record company just to be able to put this album out for June Carter, and and so it's just interesting. I'm I'm I. I have a, 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 I have a difficult relationship with country music because I grew up with it; and it was force fed to me. Uh, <laughs> but since mom since mom has passed, I've tried to embrace it a little bit more and just uh, appreciate it for what it is instead of the twang. And uh, mm-hmm. so this is a this is a nice documentary that that tells the the story of a, a very accomplished uh, woman from country music, and I just think it's worth it. So go check it out, June Carter Cash.
1: Nice, nice. That's really cool. So, Amanda, how about you?
2: Um, yeah, sure. So, let me go on. <laughs> this is such a such a gear shift for me because I um, don't usually, you know, I read and write horrors and thrillers right but um my husband is a hopeless romantic and um so yesterday he was like oh like let's watch this show it's on netflix and um and i remember like not really paying much attention to it but i have been neglecting him a fair bit lately because you know my book Mm -hmm. launches on the 20th and i've been really busy so I was like yeah yeah you know what you you pick tonight's all about like you know you you can pick it it's friday night all good um and uh, so we started watching it, and it's really enjoyable. And then I actually pay attention to the title. It was One Day. I'd, and I don't know if you've heard of it or you've read the book, um, but I actually had read the book many, many years ago. It's a love story um, that has, like, a devastatingly heartbreaking ending. And it, Oh no. Um, and so my husband, the, like, eternal optimist, like, this really, really happy guy, he's like, he's like, oh, no, like, let's watch it. It looks so cute. And it is very sweet. And um, the, uh, so there was actually a, it, it was a movie released, oh, I can't remember who the actor was, but I know Anne Hathaway was, like, uh, she played the leading lady, um, this is maybe about 10 years ago or something like that. Um, but I never saw that. And the reason I never watched it was because I knew how it ended and I know that it'll leave you like ugly crying at the end of it. Um, <laughs> and so I kept trying to tell him. And, and the casting this time was fantastic as well. Um, uh, and uh, they were just so, um, they, they had such a vibe, the two main characters. It's, you know, it's a very simple story about um, uh, this young guy and girl who meet each other um, on the day that they graduate from university. They, um, it was almost like a romantic encounter, but It ended quite, not not disastrously, but it ended up with them being friends, which is actually a really great way for, I think, one of those random one-night stands to turn out. So they ended up becoming friends, and um, the movie or the book essentially follows their relationship over the course of many years, um, you know, missed opportunities, uh, their lives as they, you know, grow apart and then keep getting pulled back together together, And I don't want to ruin it for anyone who hasn't, um, seen it or watched it, but it, um, it's it's a very lovely heartwarming story until it isn't um and it it was so funny because i I kept warning my husband i kept telling him you know i'm like honey this is not and like he's like no but it's like it's so sweet like let's just keep watching and they were very short like they were little it was limited series but they were just half an hour slots you could just kind of go through them and at the end he was just looking at me and he's just like what you knew and I and I was like sobbing again, right? Because I'm a big crier anyway. I'm like, oh, I told you I told you it was so hot. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, I mean, despite the the tears um, and um yeah, and and all the sappy bits that uh, I get very embarrassed about, I, I did enjoy it immensely. Um, it was it was a really, really good remake. Um, both the actors were fantastic, so yeah.
1: all right. Well, that sounds like a big
2: emotional journey. It really <laughs> was. It really was. I didn't come on this podcast like um, hoping to put myself in such a vulnerable position. I have to say, <laughs> <clears throat> that that's
0: that's almost like a, that's almost like the uh, the anti Valentine's Day thing to watch. Oh no, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, this this have you heard? I don't know. Uh, I I don't know if you, have Amanda, if you would have heard of this, but Tracy, have you heard of uh, pizza hut is doing the, uh, the breakup pie?
1: I have not heard of this.
0: So if you, oh. if there's someone that you, that you aren't going to spend Valentine's with, you can send them a pizza from pizza hut, uh, along with a reason why you're breaking up with them or why you don't want to see them. Like you could set And I'm just sitting there going, who the hell came up with this shit? <laughs> oh my gosh oh wow oh, wow. wow that so, is yeah it seems something. it seems kind of dark to me but it, uh, it reminds
2: it, me of those really cringe guys um in high school that would break up with their girlfriend like just before valentine's day and then try to get back yeah. together with them after valentine's day to avoid buying a present like buying it things yeah. the same energy yeah. <laughs> Oh, there's man. been there's
0: been lots of sitcoms who have uh, who have played with that as well. Was it uh, how I met your mother? Ted breaks up with a, a girl twice both times on her birthday, which just happens to be Valentine's Day and oh. he forgets he forgets the first time and then the second time they meet and he's like, why didn't I why I don't understand she's so great. Why didn't we stay together? And then they kind of date for a little while and she starts to annoy him and then he's like, I'm gonna break up with you. she's like again on my birthday. <laughs> On Valentine's Day. Again!
1: Mm Oh. Oh, man. Man. (laughs) My, uh... The the adoption agency I got, our most recent cat from, is... And this is a common thing. I've seen lots of adoption agencies do it. Um, As a fundraiser, if you pitch them a couple of bucks they will uh write the name of someone who you are emotionally embattled with we will say mm. um on the inside of a litter box uh that they will then <laughs> give to the cat of your choice um wow. so that the cat can spend the week of valentine's defiling the, the name of this this person oh, which wow. you know seems to me like it's really fortunate that it's not connected to any kind of like specific cultural witchcraft or something, because man, if that worked, (laughs) yikes. Uh, well, my, my pick of the week is, um, not musical, nor is it an emotional journey or anything like that. Um, it's a book that I've been reading. I got a copy of it from my local library. It's not new, new. It's, it's been out for several years now. um, But it kind of hit my radar through the happenstance of, you know, looking up other books and algorithms going to algorithm and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. Uh, It's called The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe, How to Know What's Really Real in a World Full of Increasingly Fake. Um, And so... It is a book and it is it's a huge book. It's quite a doorstopper um, that if you want to, you could read front to back, but you don't really need to because the organization of it is such that it is almost like a kind of encyclopedia of topics about which we should be more thoughtful and skeptical. Mm -hmm. And so it seemed to me like. In the year of our Lord, 2024, when half of uh, the world is engaged in some kind of democratic election at some point in the course of of this year, it's probably a really good time to make sure that my my various bullshit uh, detectors are well calibrated. Sure. Um, So it's got subsections on things like the Dunning-Kruger effect and confirmation bias and, you know, manipulating statistics and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um. So it's, it's actually been a really good read. It's written, you know, at the level of an everyday uh, sort of thoughtful person who just kind of wants to uh, be a little bit more skeptical of crap that somebody puts up on their Instagram or Facebook wall and sort of immediately accepting their information as true. Um, So if you're the sort of person who wants something that's going to be very pick-up-put-downable, make you feel a little bit more intellectually engaged in your life, but also not necessarily demand more than you're ready for, I've been getting a lot of mileage out of The Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. Um, There's also a corollary book to it, which was published more recently, that is A Skeptic's Guide uh, to the Future, which is specifically about looking at science fiction And um, some very famous sort of science fictional concepts and tropes and how they um, do or don't kind of um, meet
0: plausibility demands in a variety of different ways.
1: Um, I haven't gotten to that one yet, so I will report on that in the future.
0: Well, Tracy, I think that your pick uh, is horrible. I think that you have fallen (laughs) for a Taylor Swift plot to trick you into reading a terrible book.
1: That's probably Uh, true. Yeah, Did the black Taylor helicopters Swift, make me do it?
0: Yeah. Taylor Swift yeah. and the NFL uh, mm-hmm. are plotting against you uh, <laughs> and to trick mm-hmm. you into 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 using the library system.
1: So, yeah, which yeah. is definitely a liberal plot. The whole library <laughs> system thing. They probably have creepy pizza stores too, or
0: something I, that break up pizzas curious. to perfectly deserving chads. <laughs> I'm curious, <laughs> Amanda. Has 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 any of that bullshit made its way to Portugal? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, Do you well, even
0: know what we're talking about? Um,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, it's about, actually fine if the answer is no. They're, they're, so, I so no, I want <laughs> So t- t- they're, they're the, uh, the MAGA part of the Republican Party in the United States is floating around theories that the Super Bowl has been scripted and that the Kansas City Chiefs are gonna win specifically because Taylor Swift and oh. is the her relationship with Travis Kelsey is fake. It's been created by the Democrat Party. So <laughs> that when When the I'm not shitting you, this is this is what's going around so that when the Kansas City Chiefs win the Super Bowl, Taylor Swift will go down on the field to congratulate Travis Kelsey and then announce her support for Joe Biden as president. And it's all a plot being Mm -hmm. created by the Democrats. This is what is actually making the rounds.
1: All right. Someone should send a I think all this is just her. a, Guide to a long way of saying, um, please, please give us a
2: full report on Portugal because we may want to go <laughs> there soon too. There are an alarming number of, I think, um, people moving here uh, because it's so chill and you can, you can really avoid <laughs> stories like what you just told me. <laughs> so
0: it's insane. It's insane. Uh,
1: well, we've had a much better than chill time with you, Amanda. Yes. It's been great. Um, and Island Witch sounds genuinely wonderful. And I, too, am leaning in with a tell me more. That's probably going to result in it ending up uh, in my next order of
2: books from the library. So thank you so much. It's been awesome having you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tracy and Patrick, for having me. This was so much fun. <laughs> All
1: right. We want to make sure people know where to find you out there in the world of of the interwebs and where to find your books and everything. So
2: where, where should we go? What should we do? Um, so it's pretty easy. All my socials so um, Instagram, Facebook, t- Twitter, X, um, yeah, what, whatever it's called now is um, it's all Amanda Jayathisa. So it's just at Amanda Jayathisa. My website is amandajayathissa.com. Island, which is um, going on sale on the 20th of February and is available wherever you prefer to buy books.
1: Fantastic. Well, I hope February 20th is a wonderful day for you. Yes.
0: Welcome, dear listeners, to the year 2024. Will it be a better year than its predecessor? Only time will tell. My new dual monitor mount thingy for my desk toppled over and sent my coffee cup over the edge, splashing coffee all over my desk, my clothes, the carpeted floor beneath my feet. Looking a lot like 2023 there, 2024. Hey, have you ever heard of Beyond the Trope? They've got a podcast just like we do, only they have announced it will be ending on their 10th anniversary, which makes me sad. But Giles and Michelle have planned to go out with a bang-up list of guests you won't want to miss. So go check them out, Beyond the Trope. Also, I win. Also, also, for us, don't forget to share this episode with your own friends. And if you haven't already done so, check out our Patreon over at patreon.com slash functional nerds. If you like what we do, feel free to toss us a couple of bucks a month to help pay the bills. Also, also, also... Like us, or give us a star or a review on your preferred podcast platform, wherever you're grabbing episodes from or streaming. It helps, and we appreciate it. Now, did you know that in the 1960s, the CIA tried using cats to gather intel on the Kremlin and Soviet embassies? They equipped the cats with battery-operated microphones and antenna to record data (laughs) i wonder how that turned out mr carpiers you got it right how about that yeah you can call me cannoli joe if you've if you've never listened to the podcast there there's there's two different styles here there's there's tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions and then oh squirrel
1: oh for god's sake patrick louise
0: (laughs) hello patrick it is a
1: face. <laughs> okay. That's probably a good enough signal.
0: <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like, "I'm sorry. Do you know who I like? I think you have me confused with someone else."
1: The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff.
0: My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.